Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family Radio. This is episode 282, and it's the second part of a mini-series we are doing entitled Family Finances During and After the Coronavirus Pandemic. And again, a a quick disclaimer. Uh, Today's show, we intend to only give general information on family finances. We're not offering specific or professional investment advice. We are not guaranteeing that our views on the future will be correct. In fact, we can almost promise they'll be, in some significant measure, incorrect. We can't predict the future in all ways, but we recommend that you don't make any financial decisions based solely on what we share in today's show. My special guest is Bob Van Norden. He was with us for the last episode. If you didn't miss it, I asked him some pretty tough questions, and he gave some straight answers to questions that aren't being asked and answered in the widespread, even the financial media. So try to get a hold of that episode 281 in the podcast form if you didn't catch it on your local Catholic radio station. Bob was a stockbroker, worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and he brings an interesting perspective on this whole financial crisis that's going along with the health crisis. So we have two crises facing our country. So, Bob, thanks again for coming back to Faith and Family. Again, my pleasure to be here, Steve. Um, I'd like to start with just a personal question, if you don't mind. And you're very brave. I asked you off the air if you'd be willing to answer this. But here you were in the middle of New York City working on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And I guess most people would agree that's the center of the financial and economic capital of the world. Certainly was then. Okay. And um, you decided that it might be a better place for your family elsewhere. Why? Yeah. I I mean, I was born and bred in New York, and so was my wife, born in uh, in New York City in the Bronx, lived most of my my life on Long Island, commuted into the city, spent 25 years on the floor of the stock exchange, before then was actually a broker around the Hamptons. Uh, And... You know, it became quite evident that uh, in the around 2007, 2008, in that area, that the stock exchange, the technology was kind of obsoleting a lot of what's going on there. I would went to work for a major stock, uh, a major brokerage firm in 1987 after being on the floor for five years working for myself and some smaller firms. And when I went to work for that firm, we had uh, uh, seven brokers and a staff of 15. By 2003, we had 27 brokers and a staff of 55. I left in 2007, and by the end of 2008, we had three brokers and a staff of five. That's what happened to the New York Stock Exchange, and this is one of the premier uh, investment firms down there. Um, When the opportunity presented itself to take a package and get out, I'd always had it in my heart to to leave New York. Uh, I had a young family at the time, two boys that were, uh, I think, 10 and 12 at the time, and it just seemed to me greener pastures elsewhere. Uh, if things really came to a head, I did not want to be in a in a uh, a really in a metropolitan area where there was just too many people and too little ways to get around. And uh, I came across a newsletter, by the way, at that time from some guy in Florida named Steve Wood, <laughs> <laughs> who said I found a place in Greenville, South Carolina, where. 
it's a good, good place to raise a family. It's a great growing situation there. And I said to my wife, here's a good place to start. And I think the Lord opened up the doors for us to be down here. We came and looked, and here we are. It's 13 years later. And well, it's been a great place. You, you made me nervous when you came here based <laughs> on our move. And I'm not trying to get anybody to move to Greenville. But my point being, and this is a really hard question, but you know, let's just say the coronavirus is like most viruses, and it comes back with cold and flu season late next fall, and we go into another shutdown. And businesses not only close, they go bankrupt. And I'm just painting the worst-case scenario. I'm not saying this is going to happen. But what would happen in our society? Well, it's going to be the recipe for great social unrest. And again, when you have great congestion in one particular area, that uh, that unrest uh, really becomes magnified. Uh, it's an, it's a, a situation you probably don't want to be involved in. So they don't want to have a family involved in if you can avoid it. That's one of the reasons I made a decision that when the opportunity presented itself to, to move to a, a less congested area, a beautiful section of the country, and uh, a much better place to raise a family, even though I was born and bred New Yorker and love New York. But uh, it has some major drawbacks in bad times, and I don't want to be around there if those times hit. Well, and I realize this is an exceedingly great challenge for someone listening to our voice in a major metro area. But if you just look at the past month or so, just taking your former home, New York, I mean, I've read people are fleeing to the Hamptons. I know in Florida, the Florida Highway Patrol, it kind of shocked me, it still shocks me, reduced I-95 to one lane and Florida Highway Patrol was stopping New York cars coming into Florida because they knew the pandemic was so, you know, out of control in New York and they didn't want the people. So, I mean, this whole thing is like, you have to make your decision almost before this hits, because people were saying we don't we don't want people from New York. That's exactly right. It's it's always a great a great advantage to be one step ahead of the curve on these things, because sometimes it's just maybe too late to make a move. Now um, you have some graphs that you brought with us that might indicate where we <clears throat> might be. And again, we're not making. Uh, Infallible predictions. Right. This here. is a, this is this isn't has to be predictive, but it's an interesting it's an interesting historical uh, outlook here. Um, what one of the things that concerns me uh, with what's happened here in the last month or two is that the the really precipitous drop that the stock market took on this virus. Um, we went from um, Dow almost hit thirty thousand. It got to twenty nine thousand five hundred. And in the matter of five, six weeks, it dropped from 20, 29,500 down to, down to 18.2 on the Dow. That's a 38% uh, decline in the matter of really it was like about five weeks. Now, since then, we've had a rebound. Uh, this is often what happens uh, technically in, 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 uh, in a market. Uh, the rebound has gone back 50, 60% of the loss. The market had rallied back to around 24,000. I think right now it's uh, somewhere around 23, 23.5 in that area somewhere, just in the, just the last couple of days. Uh, let's, <clears throat> let's take a look at historically what happened in 1929. The Dow hit a high of 375, and within 
two or three months, it went from 375 all the way down to 200. That was a 47% drop, worse than what, we, worse than what we've had uh, just recently. But in that area, and I haven't seen a market drop 38% in four or five weeks ever. Um, and I've been around it since the mid-70s. Now, back in 1929, it rallied, and it, again, it, it got back to about 50 60% of the losses in the, in, the, in the next two or three months. Got back up to just about from a lower 200, back up to about 300. And you said, well, hopefully the worst was over. That's what people figured back then. The market got back up to 300, regained about 50%. And, okay, maybe we're going to have a, a, a ways that's going to kind of trend sideways if it's not a V-shaped recovery like a lot of people talk about. Uh, well, had you purchased a market anywhere in that 200 to 300 range, uh, two years later— the Dow was selling at 40. Whoa. That, so it kept go- It went down even further then. It went from a rebound. It went down to 200, rebounded back to just about 300, and went from 300 to 40. That was from the top to the bottom, a 90% drop in the stock market back in the 1929 to 1932 range. And it took... 30, 40, 40 years, 50 years, or cl- close to 50 years to regain all, the, all that back uh, in, in the Dow and in, in inflation, certainly inflation adjusted. So, again, this is a, a dire scenario, but it, it's, it's the possibility. I mean, it scares me that the fact that the market reacted in such a violent way uh, back in, in, the, in the last month or so. I mean, if this scenario ever played out again, and, and God forbid it should, but if it did, that means you're looking at a, a 90% decline from the, from the high of just about 30,000. You're looking at a Dow of 3,000. Uh, let's hope that never happens. But that's just to put things in perspective historically of, of a worst-case scenario if we go into a real deflationary mess uh, that happens here. Well, and families who may not have any funds for the stock market could at least have prudence in their spending, their debt levels, that type of thing when they see, oh, the stock market's going back up. And, you know, everybody on the financial TV shows will say, oh, it's time to buy the dip and everything else. Right. Uh, and it might be. It, it could be. be. It could I be. mean, this, 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 we said in the last show, this is what happened back in 2000, 2009, 10. I mean, it looked like the market was, you know, had, I got pounded. It looked like we were in a real dire situation, and the Fed came in, and uh, the government came in, and they refinanced the banks, and the market made a, an incredible rebound over the last 10 years. I mean, never seen before a bull market of that magnitude. But again, what, what concerns me here is uh, things that have happened here in the last one to two months, and that is we talked about in the, in the last show. I mean, job we, we've lost 22 million jobs in a month. That's the whole gamut of the last nine and a half years of job recovery. We, we gained 22 million jobs in nine and a half years and lost them in about five or six weeks. Scary stuff. Yes. And again, I repeat, and I'm not predicting this, but I'm saying viruses come around again. And that's why I did the shows in boosting your immune system, because if it comes back again, even if they have a miracle vaccine, the virus may mutate. They have to close again. And at that point, it's going to be problems. I like to switch, though, that 
okay, that basically we're saying the situation is serious and families should treat this as something of a major concern and take practical steps. Um, one of the things that's very obvious, particularly parents with kids still in the home, is, is education. Uh, will Catholic schools make it? Very good question. I mean, any Catholic schools, certainly private schools, I mean, if things get really, really difficult, uh, you know, parents have to make a decision. Well, I mean, the, the funds just aren't seem to be there for the family. We can go to, to a public school and, and basically pay nothing because we're already paying our taxes to it. Uh, can we really afford the price of a private school, especially a Catholic school? And you, and you just hate to think because education is, should be so uh, religious background to it. That's really a primary source of what education is. And families may be very hard-pressed hard to, to be able to pay out, and parishes may be very hard-pressed to subsidize uh, schools. I know. And it's, we don't think of these things. The other one is um, I call a reality check regarding college. And I know, I mean, you love your children, and a lot of you know, kids who've done well in high school have their dream college they want to go to. And I have known parents who really have no business putting out the amount of money for wherever their kids want to go uh, for their edu college education and then co-sign loans for their children to be, in other words, debt-fueled education. Now, if you have the money, great. Go to your dream college. Go to your private college, but what are we facing now? Should people be going into college debt? Yeah, that's a, it's a, a very serious question and a tough one. You know, one thing that that some students have been doing recently that certainly makes, seems to make a lot of sense is students start out in community colleges that used to have a kind of a social stigma about them in, in the more recent past. But uh, go, to a, go to a community college for the first two years. Uh, a lot of these community colleges, by the time you get your scholarships and whatnot, are basically, you can basically cost that for almost, you know, for, for, for very, very low cost. Get your two years of that in, get your credits in, and then transfer to, a, you know, to a, an acclaimed school that has some kind of reputation on it, and you're only paying two years tuition, and you get your, gra and you get your graduate degree. When you go into a job, they're not asking you, you know, what community college you went to. They probably don't even know, hey, you got my, I got my degree from Clemson or South Carolina or Princeton or whatever the place is. I mean, obviously, it may be hard to get into Princeton coming from a community college, but certainly a lot of your state schools, I know my son, he did, this, he did that. He went to community college, got two years. Got his credits in, graduated Clemson, and now he has a Clemson degree. And this, I think, it makes sense for a lot of college students to, uh, to be looking this way. The other thing is that, do we, you know, if you're going to go for a Bachelor of Arts in a, in serious economic declines, and that's something that could last a, a, a number of years, let's say, do you, you know, you're going to invest a lot of money into a, a hyperinflated college education? And what are you going to show for it? I, I mean, doing you know, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the your really good schools right now, sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year. I mean, that's over two hundred thousand dollars in four years. I mean, that's that could be a pretty good investment in some kind of small business that you know that that might make you a heck of a lot more money than coming out of college and not can't find a job, which is a lot of students can right now, even with the job job situations 
uh, been pretty good up until the last month. One one wonders if mm-hmm. that's the right thing to do. Now, I imagine there are folks listening to what you just said, Bob, and just think this is unthinkable because – like here in South Carolina, we're we're opening up a lot of businesses today, and a lot of people think we just can't wait to get back the way it was. And yet, there's a lot of screwy things. That's a very untechnical term going on in the world economy. I won't get into those, but I want to share with our listeners something I learned from my mother. In that, I was very concerned. She passed away a few years back, and it was right after. Uh, the 2008 to 2010 financial crisis that I began asking her a lot of questions of what life was like during the Great Depression, all kinds of things. My grandfather was a very successful businessman, and his income went to absolute zero. And um, for the first time, here's my mom in her mid-90s. She told me, said, well, I went to a community college for the first two years of my college. I think she was shy about it. You know, she graduated from the University of Wisconsin. That's where she met my dad. And it took, I mean, you know, decades and decades of my life till I even found out about that. But it was just something you had to do. And we're not used to that. I mean, we say, well, I just had to go buy my dream car. Well, if you have the money and you can buy it without going into debt, that's fantastic. Okay. But dream house, dream car, dream college, that means debt car, debt college, debt house. Um, We really need to be prudent about our expectations with a future we don't know exactly what it could bring. That is so true because how this how this scenario could play out. If this is not going to be basically a V-shaped recovery where things are going to get back to normal in a couple of months, uh, seems rather unlikely at the time, but let's hope that it does. But assuming that it does not, and this thing stresses on for a, a period of time and things get more and more complex and difficult financially, um, debt is, is going to be a problem. Now, two scenarios can, can, can come out of this. One is a deflationary situation in which prices uh, plummet because people are not at work, they don't have the money, uh, and then cash is king. Um, so <clears throat> in those types of situations, you know, again, you want to be out of debt because when things come crashing down, you've got payments to make, and all of a sudden the income isn't there. The second scenario is that the the Federal Reserve, the government, walks in again like they have in the recent past, and they try to reflate the whole ball of wax again. And uh, inflation could become a real problem at that point, um, which means that um, your debt levels are still going to be a problem if you don't have a, a, a stream of income coming in because your purchasing power now, you, what you're going to make an income to, to cover the, the, the debt will be very difficult. Uh, if you have a great source of income, well, then the debt, the debt is inflated and it isn't that bad. But that's, uh, that's a tough situation to, to, to try to predict. And uh, it's, it's like the situation of trying to buy a house or a car right now. Uh, do, you, you know, do you think that you know, five years, three years from now, that housing prices are going to be higher than they are now. The same thing with cars. Uh, 
if this is a, if this is a difficult economic uh, situation that we're coming into here, the housing crisis is looks very very high probability it's going to be back, and prices of houses will come down dramatically. We're in another kind of what seems to be another possible real estate bubble that we had ten years ago, and it's right back again. And uh, so it, it makes a big difference in, in which scenario you want to pick in terms of how you're going to try to uh, handle it in the, uh, for the, in, in the oncoming years. Bob, I am very saddened by the world we are leaving our children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had it great for a good run in the United States. There's never been anything like it uh, in the history of, of this planet. And yet, in all the prosperity and everything else, all we are is leaving debt at levels that I can't even conceive of being able to pay back. So at some point, it's going to be so tough. But on the practical level, okay, if you're a young dad listening to this or wife, or if you have a teenage son about to head to college or trying to develop a career, I know this is a toughie, but you know, like, what do you do and is it time to maybe even rethink what do you do? Because, you know, it can't be some kind of business that Amazon can put out of business or Walmart. Uh, it can't be something that can be exported to India or China. I mean, you're getting a pretty narrow range here, but you want to be able to support a family. What type of thing could somebody be thinking of? Yeah. I, again, you know, again, looking towards former high-class professional jobs, blue, you know, uh, real white-collar jobs, I mean, lawyers, attorney, you know, you know the, the high-tech areas, that could be, they could be difficult areas uh, in the very near future. And uh, to, to invest a lot of money in, in, in college education, to think that you're going to move into those, one's got to think real hard and deep whether that's the, the proper scenario to go into. I mean, one thing that we, Steve and I have been talking about before is that uh, I think there's going to be a great transition uh, in college education, especially uh, of and what's happened here with the with the virus uh, situation is it's precipitating uh, this in a faster in a faster lane, and that is this whole idea of being at home. Uh, the the amount of money that that colleges can save by having students. Uh, Monitor, monitor classes from the from their home, uh, rather than building dormitories and the the upkeep of a campus and having a, a a professor for each fifteen students. You get a tremendous professor who really knows his stuff and has a great way of presenting it. And he when he put it on podcasters or some kind of some kind of computer screen, he could he, he could service five hundred a thousand colleges, not one. I mean, what a savings that could be, and and uh, that not only goes for education, that goes right into the business world too. I mean, you've got a lot of business people right now staying at home and working at home, and they're finding saying, you know, I can do this, and it, I do. I really need to be back in my uh, in my office every single day. I mean, what if I go in there once a week or two weeks or whatever? Uh, but spend most of my time at home. I can Skype, uh, you know, other people. Get my business done that way, and again, a tremendous savings for a corporation. And what about even rethinking? Because I know a lot of friends that I had growing up were pushed by their parents to get a college degree, and they just weren't students. Absolutely, and they just totally, you know, floundered mm-hmm. when trying to do that. What about 
like uh, I'm thinking of Mike Rowe of the Dirty Jobs TV show. He he said he has problems giving away full scholarships for training and something like to be a skilled uh, welder where you could be earning literally six figures a year and he can't find people willing to do it. Is that something that I, we should be transitioning to? I certainly think that's something in, in real consideration because, I mean, even even right now with with a uh, a job market that's that up until the last month or two was, was pretty sound, I know, talk to a lot of college students that are coming out of college and not finding it all that easy to get a job or a very good-paying job uh, that, that they were kind of led to believe they might get coming out of college. Whereas somebody coming through a technical school and learning a trade and saving all this money by not having put it into a, uh, a high-priced college has a great way of uh, great opportunity to make a very, a very savvy living uh, with this technical skill. Okay. You don't hear a whole lot about it, but... Uh, no, you don't. Uh, it's maybe time to rethink. Uh, this is a very in-depth question. We only have a couple minutes left, but you can just give me a brief answer. Uh, the federal government is offering loans to small businesses, including apostolates like this one and many others. I already know some have taken the money. Some are thinking about taking the money. And some are not thinking about taking the money. Uh, I've decided Family Life Center is not, period. What would you say? Again, for specific small businesses, uh, that may be a great, may mm-hmm. be a great way, especially the, the, uh, the, the grant money where you don't have to pay it back if you keep your employees employed. And there's a lot of – I was just, just listening today about um, there are situations that you could really get around on that. But but to take the loan situation, that's you know again you're putting yourself into debt. Yes, and um, remember, things change. You, you know, in other words, you could have a different administration, and you become dependent on government money, and government can change its policies. And for apostolates, that's a very pointed question because yeah. things can change very quickly politically. And you be in bed where you do not want to be. Yes. Okay. Bob, thank you so much for being with us. I just want to close with a word of prayer for uh, families listening to this. Heavenly Father, you have instructed us through your son Jesus, in whose name we call on you, to ask for our daily bread. I pray for the families listening to this broadcast. You give them wisdom, grace, peace of heart, and prudence for the days in which you have placed us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 282 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.